Welcome to the Good Shepherd Church podcast. Good Shepherd is a gospel-centered church plant in Southeast Lakeland, Florida, and our vision is to join God's mission to see a glorious city filled with disciples of Jesus who are secure as children of God, connected as the family of God, and engaged as stewards of God's love to their neighbors and beyond. Here you will find sermons and other resources to help root and equip you in your true identity in Christ. We're glad you're here. Appreciate Jeremy. Good to be back. Good to see you. Um, I'm one of the pastors in the network that Good Shepherd's part of, so I consider it an honor to be able to uh, fill the pulpit this morning or this afternoon uh, and uh, welcome our online Where's the camera? Is it right here? Ah, welcome our online um, guest as well as you tune in. And uh, I had an opportunity to preach a couple times this past summer uh, when Jeremy was on the road via Zoom. And I have to admit, in my 20 years of ministry, that was the hardest thing I think I've ever done, is to <laughs> preach Zoom. I, I really, y'all, are, I don't even know if y'all were listening or not. It was one of those... It was, it was challenging, but I, I, it just make, gives me a whole new appreciation to be in your presence and be here. And, and my wife and I, Ella, and our children have really enjoyed visiting with y'all over the past month or so as we've been uh, encouraged. We just love church plants. We had a chance, as some of you know, to, to plant a church in Alabama, and uh, I love the early stages of church plant. I know it's exhausting. I know that, um, especially in the craziness of the season we're in right now, but uh, there's something sweet, there's something really special and intimate about these early stages. So it's kind of like having little babies. You know, it's hard to appreciate it when they're in diapers and they're just constantly physically needy of you. And uh, as some of you know, as your children have grown up and I have teenagers now, it gets emotionally exhausting a little bit more than physically exhausting. But you really miss and kind of go, man, I just didn't take it for granted. It's hard to in the midst of the chaos. and the, So I know that's kind of how you feel probably as a young toddler church, but I just pray and I want to pray and encourage you to try to, um, uh, try, to, try to appreciate what God's doing in these early stages of Good Shepherd. I'm personally very encouraged, and so I want to encourage you. And I'm happy to give Jeremy a break. I know what it's like to preach on a weekly basis and it's very exciting, but it's very tiring. And so I hope and pray this will give my brother a break. Um, we are continuing our study through the book of James. And so I ask that you would take your scriptures, or will it be on the, the TV as well? So you can follow along there if you don't have a copy of God's Word. This is James chapter 3. And we're starting in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits in the mouth of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. They are so large and are driven by strong winds, and they are guided by a very small rudder. Wherever the will of the pilot directs, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. 
and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your scriptures tell us that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but your word abides forever. We ask, Lord, that you, through your word, would convict us of just how difficult it is and how um, challenging it is for us to tame our tongue and, and ultimately in our own power impossible but Lord show us even more your grace and your forgiveness and your love and your righteousness that you credit to us when we put our faith in you knowing that we must depend upon you alone our Savior and we ask these things in Christ's name Amen I never thought when we were going together that he would talk to me the way that he does now. I can't believe what I'm hearing when my son talks to me. She hung up on me right in the middle of a sentence. My parents never talk to me unless I'm in trouble. He only talks to me nicely when he wants something. He talks so much it's hard to get a word in edgewise. I'm not comfortable with the way that she talks to me about other people. It seems like we never have enough time to talk. He talked a long time, but I don't have a clue about what he was trying to say. Why do we always seem to end up in an argument? What happened? We seem to be so close, and now we hardly ever talk. I feel like I spend my whole day breaking up my kids' arguments. Yes, he asked for my forgiveness, but I'm having a hard time letting go of the hurt. What he said was so cruel. I wish our family could go the entire day without someone yelling. That's what here in my house for me sometimes. I don't know why I waste my time talking. It doesn't seem to make a bit of a difference. We'll never get to the bottom of things if everyone keeps talking at once. She always has to have the last word. He talks so sweetly to me when we're in public. Sometimes I think it could be better if we quit talking altogether. I imagine that each one of us can relate to one or more of those different phrases. Whether we are the one that is saying it about someone else or we are the guilty party that has caused someone to say that about us, we all can relate on some sort of level to these statements. Matter of fact, this has been a challenging passage for me to dig into as my own struggle with my own tongue and my words. Matter of fact, he starts off, James, right in the beginning, comes right at people like myself, teachers like me. He says in verse 1, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, 
because you, they, we, we know that those who teach will be judged with a stricter judgment. Jeremy, is this why you wanted me to preach for you this morning or this yeah. afternoon? Is that what's going on here? Yeah, this is challenging, okay? Maybe, maybe James is trying to, certainly a warning to us, but maybe he, he's even trying to encourage you members to, to show a little grace to your pastors and your elders because uh, our, our strict judgment's coming later. So it's very sobering. It's very difficult. It's very hard. It's a very uh, convicting passage for preachers and, and pastors who are up here laying out God's word. But you're not off the hook either, right? He makes sure that you understand in verse 2, we all stumble, right? We all stumble in many ways, he says in verse 2. We all stumble. We all know the challenges of taming our tongue. He goes on to say here, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man. Now, you may see that and go, well, no one's perfect. And that's true. What James is trying to say here is that this man is complete or mature in the faith. What he's trying to say here, and he's already referred, he's already used that word before in James 1 when he talks about that the goal for all of us here is to not stumble in our speech, is to not be careless. That's where we're moving. That's the goal, to be mature. He's not saying that somehow we can gain our salvation if we bridle our tongue and tame our tongue. Matter of fact, just last week in the passage, he made it very clear in verse 26 that we are, it's by God's grace through faith that we're saved, that works is a fruit of salvation. He says, faith without works is dead. We've already seen that. And so what James is trying to say here is that our tongue and how we speak is one of those works that accompanies faith. It doesn't save us, but it's the fruit of our salvation. James has also already talked about this whole subject of the tongue. He says in verse 26 of chapter 1, Listen to what he says. This is another sobering statement here. If anyone thinks he is a religious person and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. I mean, that's a heavy statement. He's saying if someone is saying that he's a Christian and he can't bridle his tongue, then his religion is worth it. Now, it's worthless. He's not saying that you're not going to struggle against your tongue and, and what you say. Christians are going to struggle against sin. The spirit and the flesh, what he's referring to there is someone who is calling themselves a Christian and just doesn't care about what they say and speak. And he's saying, that ought to make you pause and go, am I really a Christian? But what I want to challenge you with, and what I think James is challenging with today, is that for those of us who know they struggle in this area, who can relate to this, this, this battle with what they say and what they're thinking and let me just go ahead and say, this applies to what you're tweeting and anything you do on social media. So if you find yourself in this battle and how you're communicating, then I think James wants to, commute, wants to tell you two things from this passage. I think you can break this passage up in two points. One would be this. No one can tame the tongue. We, excuse me, we humans can't tame the tongue. That's the first thing. The second thing is this, yet our tongue can be tamed. So first point, we can't tame our tongue. Second point, our tongue can be tamed. I know that sounds like pastor talk, double talk, but hopefully we're going to make, make some more sense here. 
And I, and I love that my young listeners are here because I want you to listen out for two things in this as you're coloring and listening. I want you to listen out. I want you to listen out for a verse about a crazy man shooting fiery arrows. And then I also want you to listen to uh, an example I give you about someone uh, loans you a toy and how are you going to take care of it, okay? Two things I want you to listen for as you're hanging with me, okay? So first point, we can't tame our tongue. Verses 3 through 10, we can't tame our tongue. Why can't we tame our tongue? Well, James lays out two, two reasons. It's incredibly powerful and it's incredibly destructive. Our tongues are incredibly powerful. Okay? He gives us two illustrations that we can relate to. I think even though maybe some of you don't ride horses or sail or things like that, we generally get the idea of a bit in the mouth of a horse or the rudder on a ship. Right, A bit, this piece of metal, about five inches or so, in the mouth of a horse, and that small little piece of metal has the ability to manipulate and control a horse between 1,000 and 2,000 pounds. That small little bit. And depending on how you move the reins in that bit, it's going to direct the horse wherever you want to go. Okay? It's small, but it's powerful. It's mighty. Okay? Then he uses the illustration of a rudder on a ship. When I was um, in training to be a youth pastor, when I was starting my ministry off, I was working in uh, Maryland. I got a chance to do a junior high Bible study in this passage on a 40-foot sailboat in the Chesapeake Bay. It was awesome. I, was, I mean, talk about an object lesson. To be able to say, this is exactly what James is talking about. We may not know about sailing or, or things like that, but we understand that the rudder has to, it's small, but it, ha it has enough power that it directs the ship wherever the, the captain tells it to go. One of the authors I was uh, looking at in preparation of the sermon talked about the USS Eisenhower. Are you familiar with the USS Eisenhower? It's a uh, U.S. aircraft, it weighs 91,000 tons. 91,000 tons. It's nearly 1,100 feet in length. Has a nuclear power, 280,000 horsepower engine. It has a crew of 6,100 men and women. Carries nearly 100 aircraft on it. It's huge. It's like a floating city. And yet all that weight is steered by a what? A rudder that's about a tenth of 1% of the ship's size. <laughs> so it doesn't take much. The rudder's small, but it's powerful. And what James is trying to say is your tongue. We all know how small our tongue is compared to our body. It's small, but it's powerful. It's mighty. And it has the ability to direct our body in lots of different ways. Sometimes for good, sometimes for evil. It says it makes great boast in verse 5. Our tongue is a small member, but it makes great boast. Now, you may or may not know much about the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is wisdom literature. And the book of James is like the New Testament correlation of Proverbs. And the Proverbs is just filled with verses talking about the tongue. And listen to what one of these Proverbs, this is Proverbs 18.21. And I'm reading from um, the translation, the message. Sometimes I like to read the message because it kind of gives a fresh perspective. Listen to what Proverbs 18.21 through the message says. It says this, words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit you choose. Your words and your tongue 
are so small and they seem so unimportant, but they have the power to give life or death, fruit or poison. You choose. With our words, we can be galloping in, in, in wide open spaces or we can be heading right for a cliff to go straight over what we say. We can be sailing the seas or we can be heading straight towards an iceberg ready just to destroy our life and our relationships. Our words are powerful, hence why we cannot tame our tongue. Too often it's the latter course of action, of going over the cliff or right for the iceberg that we find ourselves in what we say or tweet and post. The second reason why we can't tame our tongues is that they're incredibly dangerous. Our tongues are not only incredibly powerful, but they're incredibly dangerous. Listen, look with me in your scriptures. If you have a copy of God's Word, what James has to say here, how great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire, by a small spark. Now, I'm sure you've at least seen the wildfires that are going on in California. It's so... It's, it's hard because it's happening so far away from us that we don't always relate. It's kind of like when a hurricane hits here, you know, people in California may not necessarily appreciate the things that we're going through. So we're watching these, these wildfires just going all through California, destroying California, and now even Colorado. And I learned this week that the El Dorado fire in Southern California which has burned up about 10,574 acres. Massive fire was caused by a firework that was ignited at a gender reveal party. Got to feel horrible for that family. But y'all, that illustrates the very danger that a careless, harmless little word that we say that we think means absolutely nothing can utterly destroy people and relationships and families. Our words are powerful. Our words and our tongue is dangerous. He goes on to say that our tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body. He's saying that our tongues are uniquely set apart as, as this culprit of evil different than any other part of the body. Again, the Proverbs it has so many verses about the tongue. It doesn't talk about your elbow or your knee that could cause damage, but your tongue. They're dangerous. He says it sets on fire the entire course of the life. If you have a footnote there, it says the whole wheel of life is set on fire by the tongue. And what James is trying to say there is from your cradle to death, your tongue is dangerous in how you use it can be very, very dangerous. As I was thinking about this reality of just struggling with the tongue, it made me think, and I still do struggle with it, but it made me think about a story when I was, when I was a student, when I was in high school. I would just say careless, like a lot of high school boys would, just careless words, just sarcasm. And I know there's a place for that, but just cruel sarcasm. And, and I would just say things at times that I just thought was funny to the expense of others. I remember, I don't remember exactly what I said, but I said something to this girl in my class, and I could tell it just, her face and demeanor, it just ruined her. And I thought, oh no. And I said, oh, I was just joking. And she said, no, you're not. Oof. She called me out. You, no, you always say that to cover up what you 
what, what you said that was hurtful, but you're not joking. And what she did is that she exposed the fact that my words were destructive and dangerous and were part of this rhythm in my life of setting people on fire. And children, this is the verse I wanted you to hear. Proverbs 26, 18 through 19. Like a maniac shooting flaming arrows of death is the one who deceives their neighbor and says, I was only joking. You hear that? That was me. Still my struggle. Like a maniac, like a crazy man or woman shooting these arrows on fire. Crazy, just going all over the place. is like a person who deceives their neighbor and says, Oh, I was just joking. It was just a goof. Just joshing. It's fine, right? No, it's not just a goof. It's destructive. And we must be careful. No human can tame the tongue. He says so clearly in verse 8. It's a restless evil. It's poisonous. It's like this wild animal that is just ready to break out and it can't be tamed. He says we can tame all types of animals, right? We can teach dolphins how to play basketball. We got crazy things like Tiger King and stuff like that. But we can't tame our tongues. Of all things, we can't tame our tongues. They're wild. They're dangerous. Interesting enough, this word for tame the tongue. It's only used one other time in the New Testament. It's only used one other time. It's used in Mark 5.4, which is the garrison demoniac. The demon-possessed man, that's how they spoke about him. He says he wrenched the chains apart. He broke the shackles in pieces. No one had strength to tame him. It's the same verb there, tame, demazo. The only other time it's used and essentially, that's what James is saying, is that your tongue is so destructive, it's like it's demon-possessed and it cannot be tamed. Your tongues are powerfully dangerous. Our tongues are powerfully dangerous. He goes on to say something, I think, very important in verse 9. He says, With it we bless our Lord and Father, and, if we, and with it we curse people, who are made in the likeness of God. Well, James is saying that. This is, this is interesting. He's calling out Christians here. He's saying, listen, we can speak out of both sides of our mouth. In one sense, we can raise our hands and say, praise Jesus. In another sense, we curse our brother or sister who's made in the likeness of us. Now, I know Jeremy's from the South. I don't know if any others... I know we call this the South, Polk County. I'm from Polk County, so I can say this. It's more redneck than South, okay? Let's just face it. But if you're from the South, then you know that Southerners have the ability to do what James is saying, blessing and cursing in one phrase. Bless your heart. Bless your heart. Now, I used to think like they were invoking a blessing, a God's blessing upon me. I had no idea what they were saying was the exact opposite. Now, let me say this. If you're a child and an older person says, bless your heart, they usually mean it. But if you're an adult, and someone says, oh, Jeremy, bless your heart, what I'm really saying is, oh, Jeremy, you're such an idiot. You're such a fool. I'm serious. I'm sorry if that's news to you. I'm breaking the news. I'm letting you know the code. It's not a positive thing if they say, bless your heart. Matter of fact, I used that as an illustration once, and this lady came up to me. She was so angry at me, and she said, any time I use that, I always mean it. She was mad. What I wanted to say was, bless your heart. But I didn't because I am a pastor who tames his tongue, right? I was like, are you serious? Is this a joke? Anyway, 
we're moving on. <laughs> but in all seriousness, he says something here. He says, listen, when we, when we say, you know, bless you, God, we love you, Jesus, and then we curse our neighbor, notice what he says. You are cursing people who are made in the likeness of God. With your words, they're so dangerous. They're so powerfully dangerous. What we do with our words is we basically say, listen, I have more value, dignity, and worth than you do. So I'm going to try to strip you of your dignity. I'm going to try to dehumanize you. Even though you're made in the same image of God, I'm going to lord my greatness over you through my words. That's what James is saying here. We know the atrocities of, of the Nazi concentration camps. We know the horrific things that happened there. But do you know that they also used words as a means to dehumanize the Jews? Do you realize that? That among their methods in dehumanizing the Jews, they constantly called every Jew a piece of you-know-what. Because they knew that language of shame was so powerful that if they kept saying it over and over again, the Jews were eventually going to believe it was true. Isn't that crazy? I mean, from us, it sounds crazy. But it just shows you how dangerously powerful it is to use words to curse someone who's made in the image of God to convince them that they don't have any more value, worth, or dignity. And we've seen that in our own country with African Americans and racism and civil rights. And unfortunately, there's the Southern Church, not everyone in the Southern Church who just justified that through God's word. And the German church during the Nazi, you know, during the, the concentration camps, and the church was not speaking up. Many did, but not all did. And I would just say this, you may think this is a leap, but I just want to warn us in this period, in this season we're in now, Politically, but also COVID, there is a sense in which there's a great danger for you to dehumanize the other person that's across the aisle. I'm for a mask. I'm not for a mask. Either you're with me and you're human or you're you know what. We may not say it, but we have the tendency to respond that way and dehumanize that person. Yes, praise Jesus, glad we're at church. But I can't believe you believe that or think that. Very dangerous. We see that all over social media. We must be very careful. So bottom line is, where's the hope in all this? I mean, it almost sounds like James is, is proclaiming some just defeat. But while we cannot tame our tongue, on a positive note, our, why we can't tame our tongue, our tongues can be tamed very important distinction. We can't tame our tongues, but our tongues can be tamed. And I believe that James gives us hope here in verse 10. He says, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. And he says, so tender, my brothers and sisters, these things ought not be so. He's rebuking them, but he's doing it by giving them hope, saying, listen, this is not how it was designed. And Jeremy has already alluded to this in such a clear way, is that God, this is not how God created our words to be used. I had a chance this week as I was preparing to look at a book called The War of Words by Paul Tripp. 
And he does a great job in there talking about creation. We've already made some allusions already in how God speaks. Listen to what Paul Tripp has to say about God's original design. Because essentially what, what James is saying is, this ought not to be so. It's like he's saying, y'all, it's like your, your bone is out of joint. It's broken. And we need to put it back into joint. How do we get things back into joint? Well, we got to go back to the original design. And listen to what Paul Tripp says. He says, you don't really understand the importance of words until you realize that the first words that humans ever heard were the words of another human being. Excuse me were not the words of another human being, but the words of God. The first words were not the words of another human being, but the words of God. He says, the value of every piece of human communication is rooted in the fact that God speaks. We know that God spoke creation into existence, but what he's saying here is the first words that humans heard, it wasn't Adam and Eve, it was God speaking. God created our talk. God gives our talk its value and power. That's why our words are so powerful. Because they were created by the Almighty Himself for His purpose to give Him glory. And then He goes on to say, and this just wrecked me. This just gave me a whole perspective I'd never considered. He said, Therefore, our words belong to the Lord. But He has lent them to us so that we might know him and be used by him. This means that words do not belong to us. Listen to what he's saying. The very words that come out of your mouth are not your words. Why? I know that sounds strange, right? That it came out of my mouth, of course my words. No, do you understand? God has given you those words. God has given you speech. God has given you the tongue. He's created you with that gift that he has given you that you would use it for his glory. Okay, we've already talked about stewardship today. We already talked about stewardship of money. Okay, we, when we think about stewardship, often we think about God has given us money and how are we going to manage that for his glory and, and care for it well, the money is God, God has given us. Sometimes we talk about being a good steward or a body. We don't want to get overweight. We want to work out. We want to be healthy. We want to eat right. We want to be good stewards. How often do we think about being good stewards of the very words that come out of our mouth? Realizing that we don't own them, that God owns them, and he's just lent them to us for his purpose and glory. I don't ever think like that. If you have, I'm impressed, because I don't ever think like that. This has just totally rocked me this week. Children, I told you to, think, to, to listen out for an example of a toy. Imagine one of your friends has this toy that you really love. It's very precious. It's very valuable. It's really cool. And he or she says, hey, I'm going to go away. I'm going to go to my grandparents for the summer, and I'm going to lend you this toy. And I want you to take care of it. And you're so excited because you've just always wanted that toy. You just hoped, oh, mommy, daddy, can I please have that toy? You never got it, but your friend's going to let you play with that toy all summer long. And then you take it and you just start you know, throwing it off the couch, just crashing at other toys, and you don't take care of it at all. And then your friend comes back in the summer, and he, he comes back to get the toy, and you give him this mangled item. You haven't been a very good steward or caretaker of that toy. You've been very careless with that toy. And unfortunately, 
That's what we do with our words. How often do we say, don't put words in my mouth? I mean, when, when we say that, we're, we're, we're saying, don't manipulate me. Don't try to say what I'm thinking. But let me tell you this. One has put words in your mouth, and it's your creator. The question is, are you going to use it for his glory? And, and to love him and love neighbor, or are you going to use it for your own glory and power? Well, we know that in Genesis, God was the great speaker and the great creator, but there was also another in the garden, the great deceiver. And the great deceiver, when Adam and Eve were approached by Satan, the form of the serpent, what did he say? He said to Adam and Eve, did God actually say? He directly went after what God said, seeking to give question to Adam and Eve, do you really have to submit under him? Are those really his words he's giving you? Or are they your words? And that point, he convinced Adam and Eve that they could be in control of what they say. And in that was rebellion and everything changed. And that's why our tongues are so fiery. They're so dangerous because of that event that happened in Genesis 3. As a matter of fact, James uses this phrase here, our tongues are set on fire by hell, rooted back into the great rebellion of our parents Adam and Eve in Genesis 3. Well, brothers and sisters, with that reality, I want you to be encouraged this evening because the gospel is true. Like I said, you are not able to tame your tongues, but your tongue is able to be tamed. And this is where we see the gospel come in. See, there's, a, there, there's one or two directions I can go here. I could say, okay, if you want to do better with your careless speaking and the words you use and your anger, you can just sort of like dig down deep and try really hard. And there's lots of good books out there about techniques and communication and things like that. And I'm not saying those things are bad, but the problem is those things are limited because they're all based upon what you can do by your own power. And James has already said, you don't have that power to be able to do it. And so the, the hope that we have, when I say hope, I don't mean I hope Brian hurries and finishes the sermon so we can go. No, it's this confident expectation when the Bible says hope, he's saying that you can take it to the bank. The hope that we have is that there was one who came, and he did tame his tongue. And that's what Pastor Jeremy's already said. You see, this is why we need Jesus. He is the only one that had the power to be able to give you the power to be able to tame your tongue. You've got to tap into a power that's outside yourself through faith in Jesus Christ. You've got to tap in into the work that Christ has done on your behalf. And again, Jeremy, yeah, you did steal a little bit of my thunder. That's okay. It shows a flow in the liturgy because it all comes down to this. You actually have a bigger problem than your tongue, and it's what Pastor Jeremy said, is your heart. Because Jesus did say, once again, Jesus said, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and that's what defiles a person. That's the reason why ultimately you can't tame your tongue because your heart is wicked and sinful. You need a heart transplant before you can ever tap in to the power of Jesus. And that's what Jesus does. When you put your faith in him, he came to die in order to give you a new heart, in order to set you free from your sinful heart and sin's power and dominion so that you can have a heart of flesh that from that can come words that give life and not death. 
Yes, no mere human being is able to tame his tongue. But the God-man can't. Jesus came to tame what we never could tame. In his perfect life, and his death and resurrection, he was able to fulfill what Isaiah 53, our assurance of pardon, was. He bore our griefs. He was stricken, smitten. He opened not his mouth. Several times we saw that. And think about it. If anyone could have spoken up and said, this is not fair, this is not just. One who had never sinned, who one who perfectly bridled his tongue. If anyone could have said that, it was Jesus. But Jesus kept his mouth shut so that you can have power to keep your mouth shut. Jesus has come to give you freedom from sin, salvation from sin, and also power, resurrection power. See, Jesus didn't stay in the grave But he rose again, and because he rose again, he is giving you his spirit, the Holy Spirit, to give you the ability. That's the power that now you can tame your tongue. It's no coincidence in Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit came upon the believers, it was tongues of fire over their heads. This time, these tongues of fire weren't going to be for destruction, but it was going to be for life. And for the, for, for the case to display and, and declare the, the glory and the works of God. Second Peter says it so clear that his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. You actually, if you're a Christian, you actually do have the ability now because of Jesus and his spirit to bridle your tongue. But the point I want to make tonight is that that power comes from outside of you but has been given to you so that we can steward the very words that Jesus has put in our mouth. And guess what? We're going to blow it. Matter of fact, before we get out of this door, we're all going to blow it in some way or get in our car. And we're going to be like, didn't you listen to the pastor? Right? That happens all the time in my family. And it's usually me, right? He's preaching, right? But I, I, let me just tell you this. There's three little words that you can say when you blow it. Please forgive me. We can go to the Lord who says that You know, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. And we can go to one another when we blow it and we say things that we really didn't mean and it came out of our wicked hearts and we can say, please forgive me. And that's the beauty of the gospel. That the word Jesus himself came down in the flesh to set us free from sin, to make us new and give us a new heart where words of life can flow. And one day... And one day, it will be every tribe, every tongue, and every nation that will surround the throne where we will speak forever words of life. This is our hope and our future. Let's pray. That temper of mine, forgive me, Lord. I let it get the better of me again. When will I ever learn to wait until I've heard the whole story to respond under pressure as Christ would? To meet evil with good. I'm growing, Lord, but my growth is far too slow. Lord, we ask that you would till up our life, that you would break up the clods of pride, that you would root out the weeds of selfishness, that you would plow under every vestige of stubbornness, that you would cultivate within us and so liberally more the Spirit's fruit-bearing seed. Lord, we ask that you would send showers and storms if need be, shine brightly on our souls. 
so that then we will sprout forth patience and kindness and love and self-control in abundance. And Lord, and Lord, our tongues will learn to help and to heal and to praise your name through whom we pray. Amen.